Well, let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So um, I spent some time in a coffee house this week working on this sermon. I don't always do that, but sometimes getting out of the office can be really helpful for me in my writing process. I'm not sure if it's the same for you and whatever work that you have to do. And I felt like I kind of needed it this week. I needed a little different space because this is kind of a big Sunday, right? This is, this is our kickoff. This is a big Sunday. For weeks, I've been thinking about this Sunday, and I've been feeling the pressure to deliver a clear vision for the church. Not only that, uh, but my heartbeat has been growing over the spring and the summer more and more for each and every one of you to know Jesus, to, to, to accept the grace and the love that he offers to you, to flourish in him and, and to grow in your relationship and be transformed by him. So there, you know, in total are over 300 people here today between this service and the early service. And, and I feel responsible to each and every one of you so I can get into this crazy brain space when I, when I start to feel this way, where, where I feel like, man, if I can just, if I can get all the words right and I can put them in the right order for my sermon on a day like today, which is kind of a big day that God might really begin to do this new amazing thing in your lives and in the life of this church, and, and I get into this kind of pressured space to, to get it right and make sure that my words don't fall flat. So I was hoping that this coffee house would be the catalyst, right? This would be this place where the magic happens and the words just start coming. And I'm like, yes, this is awesome. This is really working. And it was this beautiful, breezy day in the coffee house. I had my favorite coffee right in front of me. And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sitting down on my laptop and I'm ready to go. And, and the door was open and there was this nice breeze coming in. And, and um, then I started to get noisy and I'm watching all these metro trains because it's right by the train track and all these trains speeding by in the span of 20 minutes there were maybe three or four commuter trains and and at first I was just distracted I'm like that's really noisy come on I'm trying to be in a place where the magic happens right I can't be distracted by this and then I actually started watching the trains speeding by and and all the pressure that I felt to get this this sermon right got bigger and bigger and and I started breathing a little more heavy because I began to think of all those people on those trains and I considered how many of them maybe don't know Jesus at all or never heard of Jesus, don't have a place to learn about him, may never step inside a church. And, and every train that went by, I just felt this weight getting heavier and heavier. I don't know if you ever felt that way when you look at trains. I mean, the trains here are, are kind of part of our daily life in the western suburbs. Most of the working adults in this church take the train at some point to work during the week. We are constantly getting stuck behind trains, and it's making us late to get somewhere. Anybody get stuck behind a train this morning? Sunday mornings aren't too bad, I guess. But We hear them all night long. We hear the gates going down all night long to the point where we, we almost don't even hear it. It just becomes kind of background noise for us. Many of you chose to live exactly where you live, the house where you live, because of its access to the train line, right? In fact, our, our train line, the BNSF train line, is by far the busiest train line in Chicago, with, with about 65,000 riders every single week on that train. Pretty amazing. And many of these riders are not just people who are going on a joyride, right? These are high-leverage people who are, who are trendsetters in every sort of area of, of, of business and every line of work. The train is literally setting the marketplace in many, many ways. 
The people on these trains close massive deals and they move around billions of dollars and they create vital technology and they heal diseases and, and they educate the masses and they have incredible influence. And they come and go every day and they zip by here just a couple blocks away and they may never have any sort of tangible concept of God and his work in their life. What can tiny little Hinsdale Covenant Church do to introduce these people to a flourishing life in Jesus Christ? Can you see why I started breathing heavy? Can you see the, the chest pain I was, I was feeling? I mean, if I'm stymied about just getting my words right this morning, how, how in the, I mean, we might as well give up when we look at these trains and, and all that they stand for. How do we get all these people from the train lines into a church where they can know Jesus and flourish, him, flourish in him? But friends, here's the truth this morning, one I need to hear as much as any of you. The commuter train and all that it stands for is only overwhelming if we have a narrow view of what ministry is. If we view ministry as being held by a select few people and only really happening in defined spaces like a church, we are already limiting the way that God designed things to work. Maybe our, our knee-jerk reaction to sort of that sinking feeling when we look at the trains is to, is to grow our church and expand our church to try and reach more people. Or, or maybe we need to hire a, a pastor on staff who just rides the train all day and talks with people. That'd be kind of a cool ministry, right? Or maybe the pastors at this church need to be a little more dynamic and get out there a little bit more. I'm not saying that any of these things aren't true or there might not be some merit in some of them, but that is not the model that God gives to us in Scripture. The model in Scripture is one where all of the people of God are on mission for God. And this is what we're going to be exploring for the next seven weeks in our fall sermon series. It's called Everyday Mission. When I say that word mission, what do you think of? I know what I think of. I grew up in several covenant churches. Uh, the one that's most near and dear to my formation is Roseville Covenant Church in Minnesota. And as a junior hire, one of the high-impact Sundays for me was Missionary Sunday. Anybody grew up with a Missionary Sunday in their church? Yeah. Uh, our church supported these uh, really interesting missionaries, Galen and Jill Johnson. They were in Burkina Faso, West Africa, way out in the bush. I mean, like ministry on the margins, pretty incredible ministry. And they would come maybe once a year, maybe every other, whenever they were back in the States. And, and they would do the slideshow, and they would tell stories from the mission field. And, and I remember that thinking that Galen was kind of a quirky guy, but man, I respected his work. And in fact, it was beyond just respect that I had for him. It was actually, I think I, I, think I saw him as like a real Christian. <laughs> um, a pinnacle of devotion to Jesus, Right? And for many of us who, who grew up in the church, this was the message that we inherently picked up on a missionary Sunday. That if you love Jesus and, you, and if you really took your faith seriously, then you're going to move overseas and you're going to become a missionary because that's what you do. And if you can't do that, at least you got to regularly go on international mission trips. And if you can't do that, you might have to settle to be a pastor in vocational ministry. And, and do you see what my junior high brain had sort of done there? I, I, I had created these sort of various strata of, of ministry and faith sort of melded together, and the implication was really clear in my mind. The more serious and sold out you were about Jesus in your life, the further away you had to go to prove it. You might know that we support four different covenant missionaries through our annual budget. If you gave money today, a portion of that goes to support these missionaries. Kathy Campobello is in Colombia, 
Dale Lusk, Dale and Jill Lusk work for Merge Ministries in um, primarily in Latin America. Uh, Fabio and Jana Muniz uh, work doing cultural fusion for immigrants in Lyon, France. And then uh, Stephen Barb Swanson worked with Muslim refugees in Malmo, Sweden. All different ministries, really incredible ministries. And, and these are incredible people doing incredible things. And if you get to interact with them when they come back and visit us, they will inspire your faith and motivate your faith. I'm sure of it. But I, you know, I didn't call any of them this week. I didn't check in on this this week. But I am quite certain that if any of you reached out to them independently and asked if there is sort of a strata of, of faith and mission, that they have some sort of higher calling than I do or that you do, they would categorically reject that. They would affirm that they are in the place that God has called them. It's a unique mission field, and they are among the people that God has called them to. But they wouldn't say that their mission is any more important than mine or yours as followers of Jesus Christ. They would encourage you by saying that your mission field is the place where God has you right now with the people that God has you with right now with the work that you are given to do right now. We might create those stratas. They would not. And guess what? Scripture doesn't either. Our text this morning, Peter offers us a different model of ministry from my junior high mind. Peter's writing to a people who were overwhelmed, likely marginalized and persecuted for their faith in the Roman Empire. And Peter is deeply committed to a flourishing life in Jesus Christ and wants the same for all of his all of his readers. And his encouragement is one that I know I needed this morning as I was watching those trains go by. So I want to walk through parts of this text together and introduce you to the idea of everyday mission. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones yourselves, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First thing that Peter impresses upon us is he, he distinguishes the New Testament church from the Old Testament temple. This is key for our understanding of everyday mission. Peter uses extensive Old Testament imagery to show that these New Testament believers, both Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, are in fact God's own people, a new people who have come to possess the blessings of the Old Testament Israel, but in far greater measure. The leader of this new people is Jesus, and he is called in this text the living stone, which is a pretty daring metaphor, actually, because stones in no way are living things, right? But it builds on Jesus' own words about himself and the cornerstone that the builders rejected. The fact that Jesus is not a dead stone, but a living stone, shows powerfully his superiority over the structure of the Old Testament temple in Jerusalem, which was constructed with stones that were not living, but were dead. They were actual stones, right? And he reminds the listeners that they cannot approach God the same way now that they did back then, because Jesus is a new and far better way to come to God the Father. The temple is no longer a physical building, but rather a spiritual reality through Jesus. So what does this mean? Put your, let's put ourselves in the shoe of an, shoes of an Old Testament Hebrew believer in God. Suppose you've done something wrong, anything that you can think of. Let's say you cheated a friend out of some money. 
and you know that you've sinned against this neighbor, this friend of yours, and you've sinned against God. And if you want to make it right with that neighbor, you go and you make it right with the neighbor, you repay them double, you, you receive their forgiveness, but you still need to be forgiven by God, right? That's the same that we do today. We need to ask God. We need to say, God, I've done wrong. I need your forgiveness. But if you're an Old Testament Hebrew Israelite, how do you make yourself right before God? There's only one way you can do it. And that is you have to travel, travel to the temple in Jerusalem, which was a physical space. You had to buy an animal that was a sacrifice for your sins. And the priest would take that sacrifice on the altar, would drain the blood from that animal, and would consider you washed clean of your sin. In this way, the temple was known as a place of forgiveness and cleansing. But more than that, it was the place of God's presence. It was the place you went to go and be in the presence of God. But here's Jesus now putting these back to Peter's words, that is a living stone, a new mode of that temple, a place for people to receive the same forgiveness and cleansing and redemption and presence of God. But he himself is the temple, a living stone. And just as you had had to come to the temple prior to Jesus, Peter encourages the people now to come to him, a living stone. Jesus is the leader to follow and you follow him not by merely coming over and over again for forgiveness, but by allowing the forgiveness that you've received from Jesus to prompt you to live your life as a living stone as well, patterning your life after him. All of the function of the temple is found in the person of Jesus. And with Jesus as our guide, we focus more on what God is building in human hearts than what God is building in physical structures, particularly when we talk about what is the center of our ministry. The second way that Peter moves us into this idea of everyday mission is the remarkable reminder that we have a priestly function. Verse 5, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. The importance of this phrase cannot be overstated, a royal priesthood. This is a shocking title for you or for me for the people of God. Remember that throughout Israel's history, the priesthood was a very specific group of people, very small, with a huge task. They had access to God. They were the temple workers. They were the ones who were in the presence of God. And every Israelite needed a priest or else they had no hope of being in right relationship to God. So Peter calls these new people together and he calls them a royal priesthood, meaning that everyone who would come to Jesus as the living stone, has access to God, the entire people. We don't need to do this mission that God calls us to cut off from our leader, but we have access to him. We have full access to God through Jesus Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The original language stuff in this text is really amazing. I don't have time to go into it all, but, but get this. As the royal priesthood Believers in Jesus represent the king everywhere that they go. Priests represent the king everywhere that they go. So much so that their function is actually ambassadorial. That's really the, like, the best way to think about this. In other words, those who are following Jesus, this living stone, serve as an ambassador for him everywhere they go. Mediating God's presence to the world. And clearly, this does not mean that everybody here ought to become a pastor and go into full-time vocational ministry, become a priest in that sense. What it means is that everyone who is following Jesus as king is called to the priestly function of God right where you are. 
So you, friends, are a royal priesthood, and you have a priestly function to live into each and every day. Not many of you are going to be called to far-off mission fields or vocational pastoral ministry in a church, but God has put you in a place. God has surrounded you with people. God has given you work to do. And in these ways, right where you are, you are called to be ambassadors of God's presence. You, like the priests in that physical temple, because of your access to a holy and wonderful God, you get to extend the presence of God to the world around you. That presence that we've experienced through Jesus Christ. The priestly function, by the way, doesn't need to be flashy or elaborate. It can be easy things in everyday life. In fact, I think that's how it's supposed to be lived. When we look at the life of Jesus, even, we see that he performed the miracles in the context of daily life. Often he was traveling from one place to another, and that's where things happen. He turned water into wine at the request of his mother. It was not a big show. He didn't send out invites ahead of time. It happened during everyday life. The feeding of the 5,000 where he multiplied those loaves and those fish. Why did he do that? Because he was eating, which is something that he does every day, and there were people who were hungry. That's an everyday function. In the course of an ordinary day, blind people were given sight and sick people were healed and dead people were raised. These things happen on Monday afternoons at three o'clock, right? And they happen in the places where Jesus happened to be. And so too, it is with us. We've been given a place and people and work to do and that's exactly where we're supposed to function in a priestly manner, being ambassadors of Jesus' presence. Now, how do we do that? Well, the good news is we have seven weeks to unpack that in this sermon series, so come back every Sunday because we're going to talk about that more. But I want to start by just asking a few questions for you to capture a vision of what this means for you. Where has God placed you? Who has he surrounded you with? What work has he given you to do? Are you one of those folks that takes the train every day to work? Do you work in an office surrounded by all sorts of people? Are you a stay-at-home mom or dad? Are you a student, grade school, middle school, high school, college, grad school? Are you retired and you're in a different form of work altogether and rhythm altogether? What would it look like if you owned this priestly function in those places and with those people and in the midst of that work? Friends, if we would begin to see ministry not as something that missionaries and pastors do, in church buildings, but rather as priestly functions of all believers in temples not made of stone, but centered around the person of Jesus Christ, that's transformative. I can't be where you are. I can't be with all the people that you're with. I don't haven't been called to the same work that you've been called. Only you can claim those things. So let's begin to see that as our mission field. And my friends, if we do that, if we take hold of this everyday mission, that rolling, persistent commuter train that can be so overwhelming to us, well, instead, get this, that becomes the priestly vehicle through which God is connecting himself to a spiritually hungry world. And that's going to bring about a revival in your homes and in our town and in our city and in our nation and in our world. So to close today, I want to do something that I feel is very important something that God's placed on my heart. 
Often when a missionary leaves for a mission field or a team here leaves for a mission trip, we will consecrate them, we'll lay hands on them, we'll pray for them, and we'll bless them. And the more I delved into this priestly function and read some things this week, I was convicted, and, and, and I wondered, why don't we do this for the everyday mission that we are all called to? When do you get consecrated for the office job that you have, right? So I'd like to commission every single person here today for the work that you have to do. And I've got a list of how, um, uh, uh, this is kind of broad categories of how we want to commission you, but I'm going to lead us through a prayer, and I want to ask, if you fit into one of these categories, when I ask you to stand, stand. Stand right where you are and be consecrated. If you have someone near you that's standing in one of these categories and you feel comfortable, you could lay a hand on them as a hand of, of uh, extending a hand of blessing upon the work that they've been given to do. You'll notice that there's a there's a space at the end for those who don't fit into an easy category here as well. But I want to commission you to the places where God has put you, the people he's put you with, and the work he's given you to do today, just in the exact same way that we would commission a missionary or a mission team or a pastor to do their work. So if you pray with me, and, and when it's time to, to stand, um, I'll invite you to do so. Let's pray. While Moses was tending sheep on a mountainside, the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush and, and called to him and said, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And God, through your son Jesus, you taught us that all ground is holy. All of our life for you is a sacrament that is to be dedicated fully to you. Each of us is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a mediator of your presence to the world. We are on holy ground in our work as as teachers and lawyers and, and volunteers and doctors and parents and secretaries and students, business owners, construction workers, and every other kind of work that we can think of. Today, we affirm before God and one another that our work belongs to you. And we consecrate this work unto you as the mission field in which you placed us. I'd like to invite teachers and, and anybody who works in education to stand. And if you've got someone nearby you, feel free to extend a hand, a blessing to them. As teachers, may your classrooms be places where the light of Jesus Christ and the truth of him shine in all learning that happens. And, and may you celebrate and nurture the varied gifts and abilities of each and every person placed under your care. May the presence of Jesus Christ be seen through your teaching and your care of others. May you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. I'd invite those to stand who are in business, finance, law, marketing, sales. Extend a hand of blessing to these brothers and sisters. May you, in, in your own workplace, find mutual respect governing your relationships and integrity governing their, your contracts and finances. And may you produce useful goods and services that can be turned back into worship for God. May you see the great responsibility that you've been given. And may you leave it in God's hands. May you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence for all that you come into contact with. I invite any students 
grade school, middle school, high school, preschool, college, grad school to stand. Let's put a hand of blessing upon them. As students, may your minds, your talents, and your character be shaped more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. And may you learn to use your gifts in the service of his kingdom. May you see opportunities in the hallways and in classrooms and, in, and, and on playgrounds and in every place you go to express the love of Jesus Christ through your words and actions. May you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. I invite those to stand who are stay-at-home moms or dads or whose primary work is with your children. As caregivers of children and family, may the example of Jesus Christ as he washed the feet of his disciples as a servant. And may you treat those whom, whom God has entrusted to you as ones who bear the image of God. And may you model a presence of Jesus Christ to those closest to you. May you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. Anyone who's a scientist, a writer, an artist, those who work in the trades of any kind, pray for you. As scientists, writers, tradesmen, artists, may the Spirit of Christ inspire and govern the work of your minds and transform the professions in which you work. May the work of your hands be done unto your glory. Oh God, may you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. For those who work in health care, emotional care, mental care, social care, uh, spiritual care, healing of any kind, please stand. May you follow the model of Jesus, the great healer. May you work to be a balm, a healing balm to those in need. May you be the ears and the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ, speaking grace to those who are in need. May you be ambassadors of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. Anyone who's retired, I'd invite you to stand that we might pray for you. As those retired from many years of work, may you enjoy the gift of rest. May you encourage others. May you pray for the church. And may you mentor the next generation with joy. May you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come into contact with. And for the rest, who don't fit easily into a category, who are in between work, who are out of work, maybe who are in work that you don't like at all, or who question the work that God has given them to do, I'd invite you to stand, anybody. We're going to pray for you anyways. There you go. Yeah, thank you. May you hear the clear voice of Jesus, the living stone, calling you to live as a living stone as well. And as you discern God's leading, may you be an ambassador of Jesus' presence to all that you come 
into contact with. And Lord Jesus, in all of our daily labors, even amidst the dull routine or the frustrating demands, may we hear the call to serve the Lord. May we all be ambassadors of your glorious presence to all that you give to us in the places that you give to us in the work that you give us to do. And may it transform the places where you put us, we pray in your name. Amen.